food. We literally all need it to survive. Hey, I would be lying if I told you that I didn't think good food was one of the greatest joys and pleasures in life. For me, there is nothing better than sharing a meal with family and friends or trying new flavors in different restaurants. And let's not even talk about traveling and trying new cuisine as we're exploring the world. I am a self-described foodie, so you can imagine how backwards and surprised I was when I realized a few months ago that I was harboring some really unhealthy habits and, dun-dun-dun, an unhealthy relationship with food. I'm not alone, and if you're listening and you can relate, neither are you. Honestly, maybe you're not even aware that you may have a broken relationship with food. Heck, I have been focusing on and learning about personal growth for decades, And I just figured this out. If you're listening and you're a driven, ambitious human, if you've ever struggled with food cravings, addictions, binge eating, weight, digestive issues, low energy, body pain, hormonal imbalances, or headaches, just to name a few, this episode is for you. I am definitely new on this journey of healing my relationship with my food, but today's guest is not. Today, we are joined by Danielle Dame, a sugar freedom coach and speaker that helps women bust through sugar addiction so they can fully step into their power and regain control of their lives. What I love about Danielle and her approach, it's not the typical, this food is good and this food equals bad, don't eat sugar, don't drink wine, and eat salads instead kind of advice that's pretty generic out there. In this two-part series, this episode here, episode 54, and the next one, episode 55, you're going to hear us talk about food in a way that is radical. And in fact, we're not going to talk about macros, superfoods, coconut oil versus olive oil or supplements or even sugar pretty much at all. Instead, Danielle takes us deeper, much deeper. And as I've learned, there's a lot of stigma and misinformation about health and food that needs to be talked about and brought into the world. And you know, that's what we're here to do. We're literally going to put a mic to it in this episode. The truth is that we all have a complicated relationship with food. And it's important to know we're not alone, we're not broken, and it's not our fault for wherever we may be now in terms of our health and our food addictions. In this episode, episode 54, and the next one, episode 55, Danny is here to bust the myths and misconceptions around our complicated relationships with food and help you start and be supported on your own journey. Now listen up, you're going to learn a whole lot of stuff because we talk about how our quote modern health system is actually disempowering many of us and how you can start to change this in your life. You're going to hear about why so many of us are outsourcing our well-being and the impact that it's having, most of it negative. The flip side of all this, of course, you're going to learn how you can actually learn to re-listen to your body. We also talk about how to stop viewing food as, quote, good or, quote, bad, something that I know I am certainly struggling with and guilty of. And you're going to learn how to evaluate healthy food and eating choices for yourself. And if you just heard that, that's right. Yeah, not, not what Oprah says is good or what labels say or meal plans or diet types, but instead figuring out those choices for yourself. You are going to be blown away by how simple this is and wish you'd known it sooner. And in fact, I think everyone needs to hear this and understand and most of all, integrate it into their life and their eating. If you listen in, you're also going to hear us talk about when it is okay to eat the lasagna, eat the pizza or the poutine or whatever it is that your heart desires. Because this, I mean, this episode, this philosophy and life is not about deprivation or punishment or reward. 
Food is actually about nourishment and supporting your beautiful self. And I know that's super simple, but also radical. You're going to hear about how, what are some of the common types of broken relationships with food and why we have them, including shame, love, reward, and punishment, and even how money, sexy topic, right? Even how money can play into food and relationships and eating and all this stuff. Most of all, most importantly, we're going to learn and you're going to hear how to heal these broken relationships to listen to your body and best of all, take back the power in your health. This is a very juicy topic. I had a ton of questions for Danielle, so that's why we've broken it into two episodes. So this is just part one. And I'm not going to lie, I'm actually pretty proud of myself finally learning to keep our episodes a little shorter. So there's two. But trust me, this is worth your time and it's worth two episodes. Your relationship with food, whether you realize it or not, is important to every aspect of your life and every goal, every ambition, every dream you could possibly have. From having the energy to play with your kids or to compete in a triathlon or to get up early to write the book you dream of or climb the mountain or whatever it is, to just feeling confident and thriving and enjoying your life. The insights Danny shares, as well as her knowledge, is paradigm shifting, and I wish that all food and nutrition talk went to this deep level, so here I am trying to change that. Without further ado, listen up for the start of this deep work that it takes to heal our relationship with food, and most of all, ourselves. Welcome to the Golden Girls Podcast, where we believe you can have it all. I'm your host, Lisa Michaud, and I'm spilling tangible tips, goal-getting strategies, and real-life stories to inspire you to tackle your biggest dreams. You're a woman who knows you're made for more. Get ready to leave the excuses and self-doubt behind by being vulnerable, sharing your truth, and having honest conversations so you can succeed on your terms. Together, we'll set goals you'll actually achieve by staying motivated, having fun, and building a community of women empowering women. It's time to tap into your best self, get confident, and truly have it all. Golden Girl, let's dive in. Hello, Golden Girls, and welcome to this special two-part episode all about healing your relationship with food. I am so grateful to be here today with Danielle Dame, sugar freedom coach and speaker. Danielle helps women bust through their sugar addiction so they can step fully into their power and regain control over their lives. She is one of my dearest and oldest friends. Can I say oldest friends? Sure. (laughs) I'm so grateful to have her here. Thank you for being here, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. I'm so excited to come in and have this conversation today and break it up into two parts. Obviously, we have a lot to cover, which is going to be so powerful. So much to cover. This is, um, so you and I have known each other for a long time. You've been on a health journey for a long time, which I'm going to get to share that story in a moment, but it really, for me, full disclosure, like it's a journey that I'm still on. And so I think that's part of the reason why I have so many questions from myself, from our audience, from our community, um, and so many things to bring to you. So we are doing this in two parts. We can, we can chat. I know we're going to chat a lot. It's gonna be so good. So I know your story, but for everyone else who doesn't, how did you get to be a sugar freedom coach and speaker? Because that's not really something that you grow up (laughs) imagining. (laughs) No, (laughs) I wanted to be a vet, right? Um, Not doing that. And yeah, I thank you for, for inviting that before I dive in and share my story. uh, You know, I, I really want to preface too, that I'm still on this journey with you. 
you know, with all of you, we're all still on this journey. You know, I don't have it all figured out and I don't know if I ever will. Right. So right there for all of you listening, you know, that this is, we're all on this journey together. And just cause I'm here, you know, talking about these things from a place, you know, where I've done a lot of work and I've come a far way, doesn't mean I'm quote unquote there yet, wherever there is. Um, so just know that and wherever you are, it's, it's totally okay. And it's all part of your path and your journey. So, um, my story, I mean, starts a childhood, right? Like all of ours does. And, you know, I didn't know it at the time, of course, but, you know, I grew up just completely addicted to sugar, completely addicted to all the sweet stuff, which, you know, I can, I can imagine all the heads nodding, listening to this podcast, right? Um, that's how we were raised. We eat all, we eat all the junk and we get, you know, we get something sweet when we hurt ourselves, we get something sweet when we, you know, um, do something good as well. So all these sort of patterns for me really started obviously at childhood and my, my addictive behaviors around sugar. My, my mom was always addicted to sugar and just, it was everywhere in the household. And, you know, I went off to university, my university years, you know, as a young woman starting to pay attention to my body, right? Ooh, I don't want to gain weight. I need to be healthy. Um, I was always very physical, you know, I've always played sports and, you know, was a very physical active person. And, you know, in my university years, I thought I was doing okay for eating, you know, I would eat the occasional salad, you know, I'd go to the gym, like I was good, right? I was healthy. And, um, you know, but then on the weekends, I would binge on, you know, I'd eat pizza, we had pasta almost every night, you know, there was trips to Dairy Queen for ice cream, like nonstop, just all the junk. And I think back of that now, and it kind of makes me feel a little sick. But um, back then, that was normal, right? And, and, you know, Lisa, you were there for a lot of that, which was fun in university years. Um, and then I went off to um, to, to work, you know, in the world, out in the world, like an adult. And, you know, then I started paying even more closer attention and I started eating more quinoa and I started eating, eating more, um, you know, more salads, right. And doing food prep and being, and thinking that, you know, I had my stuff together and, you know, I was, I was doing good. And it was really like the, the turning point for me just in my life. And it really ties into like this conversation around food and, and what got me into doing what I'm doing today was really um, after two years of working in an industry and a job that was killing me from the inside out, um, I finally realized that I needed to make a change. And my husband and I actually both quit our jobs. We went traveling for a year in South America. And it was that trip that really, you know, I, for the first time in my life, I got to actually just learn who Danny was, be connected with myself and, and learn from other cultures uh, around their relationship with food. And it was really eye-opening seeing different cultures, how they related with food, how, you know, it wasn't demonized and how they just ate nourishing foods or they grew their own food. Right. And here we're so disconnected North America from where our food even comes from. Right. We think it comes from this magical bin at the grocery store, but that's not where it grows. So, you know, it was really just started kind of percolating those pieces for me. And it was towards the end of our trip after, let me just say, we still ate like junk on the trip, right? We were, you know, thrifty backpackers, you know, on 30 hour bus rides, just eating bread and cookies and cakes and whatever you could buy in a package that wouldn't go bad on a bus. So, you know, about nine months into that journey, I remember my body starting to scream at me for vegetables. It was like, eat vegetables. I was like, wow, this is weird. I've never had a craving for like leafy greens or broccoli or carrots before. Like, this is really strange what's going on. And luckily we paid attention to that a little bit and started cooking more meals and being in places where we had access to a kitchen. And at the very end of that trip was really where things kind of came to a, a, 
a, a big turning point for me. We were actually living off the land in, in the middle of the Colombian jungle of all places. <laughs> I don't recommend um, having your sugar detox there, but that's what happened for me. So I went through, I call it my accidental sugar detox because I had no idea what was going on. I wasn't conscious. I wasn't aware of uh, what was going on at that point. I mean, this is all in hindsight that I can share this because I've reflected back on my journey. But we went through sugar withdrawals and detox there because we've been eating like junk. So I remember being tired at weird times, um, having trouble sleeping, having headaches, uh, being hungry. That was a thing for me. I would like wake up in the middle of the night hungry, even though we were eating lots of good nourishing food. So there was a lot of really weird things coming up for me. And and um, the a week after that, we came home, we came back to Canada and, uh, you know, I really started paying attention and noticing that my sugar cravings had completely changed. So during that two weeks at that, that place, I just stopped kind of craving sugar and, uh, was really just eye-opening for me when the, the, the cravings were no longer there. I started noticing that they were there in the first place before it was kind of like, it had become my norm and I hadn't noticed it. And now that they weren't there, I was like, oh, I can actually, you know, I don't need bread every day, or I don't need to go have a cookie or go have ice cream or have my Starbucks caramel frappuccino. Um, I don't have that same pull. And I was really fascinated by that and fascinated by food and my own health journey. And I really, you know, dove deep into that world and my own health. You know, we, we changed our diet drastically and we got home, we cleaned things up, you know, in our diet and just started eating more vegetables and more real food essentially. And, um, and really I started getting off of sugar at that point and noticing the shift that it made in me. So from there, you know, I started helping, um, other women, you know, in, build healthy habits and really connect with their bodies and their health at a deeper level. And at the same time, kind of going through my own roller coaster journey of trying to get off the sugar roller coaster. And about two years into that, I finally, you know, found my peace with sugar and found that I could be in the driver's seat without the addictive behaviors and the addictive dopamine hits controlling me. And that kind of spurred me into shifting the work that I was doing and now really focusing on, on helping women, um, you know, really tackle this sugar demon and, and, you know, find peace with food, but also find, you know, that, that peace and freedom when it comes to sugar and choosing to have some wine or choosing to have, you know, a brownie here and there uh, without it controlling our lives and, and our future and our health. So that's, that's the Coles notes. Obviously there's a lot in one little snippet, but uh, you know, now that's, that's my passion. And that's what I do is really diving to the root cause beyond what we eat. And we're going to be talking about that today. I know Lisa, um, beyond what we're actually eating, you know, that is the root of our patterns and behaviors around food. Yeah. So good. So good. Thank you for sharing that. There was, you know, I want to say there has been a lot of people that I know, either clients or friends that have worked with you that so often come and tell me, oh my gosh, I no longer am addicted to sugar. And I don't even, I was working with Danny and I'm not, cause I figured this out. I've hacked the sugar. So it's really amazing. I know you're doing a lot of powerful work. Um, and one of the things I know we're going to talk about a lot today is, and you, you touched on it a little bit, but I want to pull it out. You know, we're going to be talking deeper than just like what foods to be eating. And we're going to be talking about this on a different level than just like good food, bad food, which is what I, you talked about in that demonization, which we'll talk about more. Um, talk to me. What do you think? I mean, what do you think some of the, the challenges are there out there in terms of, you know, try for women like me and like you um, that are trying to be healthy, trying to do the right thing and still struggling, like trying to, you know, we, we're doing, <laughs> we're eating the quinoa, we're eating the, the yeah. spinach smoothies, which I know we're going to talk about a little bit in episode two, we're, we're tr like trying to do the right things. We're moving our bodies. We're, um, 
like doing all the things we're supposed to be doing. We think we're eating healthy, we're cooking more at home or whatever that looks like. And still are not getting perhaps the results we think we want. So what are some of the challenges that you think are really facing us as modern women and in modern quote healthcare? Yeah. Wow. Such a, such a powerful and huge question. So let's see if we can keep it succinct. Uh, You know, first thing that actually intuitively comes to me is this whole idea of should, right? Should, we should be eating kale. We should be doing better. We should be moving more. I should be doing, you know, going for runs. Like we put so much pressure on ourselves and, you know, not, you know, please don't get stuck in, you know, guilting yourself about that because it's not just you, it's society puts that pressure on us, right? The food industry, the diet industry, which is a whole billion dollar industry wants you to be really confused about your health. They want you to be really uh, overwhelmed and lost and confused so that they can come in and provide you with the answer, right? Here's the magic pill. Here's the shake that's going to change your life. Here's the diet you need to go on. So we need to be aware of that. The latest superfood. Totally. The latest superfood, right? Which then ends up, you know, killing you know, lots of people in different countries, because we're going in and, you know, ravaging those natural ingredients from those places. That's a whole nother conversation. But you know, it's, we need to be careful and just understand the role of media as well, in all of this, right. And in, you know, my body should look this way, I should be eating better. Like, we, we almost are, are, we've bred this culture, and it's not our fault. It's our culture's fault. It's the society's fault. We've bred this, this kind of inability to actually be content with where we are, and actually loving and understanding of where we are. (laughs) Right. So you know, sometimes we, you know, the, the best thing we can do is let go of some of that. Let's let go of the shooting, <laughs> like don't shoot on yourself. Right. And let go of some of that. And the other piece that we've also been bred is, you know, we all, every single human being has a complicated relationship with food. So don't think that you're the only one. Don't think that, you know, well, nobody knows about this. I must be crazy or I must be broken. It is not true. Uh, We all have a complicated relationship with food that comes from many different areas. You know, our upbringing, our cultures, the food industry wanting us to be confused, right? So we're, we're then confused and we don't really know how to relate to food um, for nourishment anymore. Food has now become a weapon. It's become an emotional crutch. It's become all these other things that is, you know, what I talk about in terms of complicated relationship with it, but starts a childhood for all of us. And I would say, and let me know if I'm off on this, but I'm going to guess a lot of people don't even realize that because yeah. I know for myself, I would say again, also on a journey, but pretty self-aware, pretty like always open to learning, always figuring things out. It's part of my coach pros and cons. Um, but I, um, for me, this realization about my complicated relationship with food is, is a more, is a newer realization. And I am still navigating. So I'm very excited on a personal note also to be listening to you and, and, and learning from you, but you know, like even, yeah, just like realizing like, what are the foods that I label as good or bad, or what are things that make me want to eat or why do I eat? Do I eat to make other people happy? Do I eat to make myself happy? Like all these pieces. And I'm going to be willing to bet that a lot of people don't even realize that. Would you say that's true that they don't even know that there's a complicated relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Which is why we're having this conversation. You know, this is so powerful and everybody listening, you know, I hope you're starting to do some reflecting and, and think about this. And, you know, I can say with utmost certainty, we all have a complicated relationship with food uh, because we've all grown up, you know, in Westernized society, at least. Right. And everybody listening to this, um, you know, in this same kind of indoctrination of belief systems and, and ways of, you know, relating to food, you know, it's very different here than in a lot of cultures that I've traveled to. And I know Lisa, you've traveled a lot as well. I'm sure you've seen that difference. 
um, in some places. So uh, for sure, it's it's a big thing that um, hopefully we're blowing the box wide open today for everybody to just plant that seed. And again, not, not guilting yourself or shaming yourself or shooting yourself about it, just understanding, hey, awesome. I have a complicated relationship with food. And now I want to build some awareness around it and learn what's really going on and, and make the changes that, that feel right to me. Amazing. And I know you're going to talk about that more in, in, in this episode. Uh, what are some of the other problems or challenges you think a lot of us are facing? Yeah. So another really big one that I see is complete disconnection from our body. So there's a couple things here. Um, we, we have been, again, we've been trained. I'm going to use that word very purposely um, to not listen to our body to not trust ourselves or our body's wisdom and signals. So we've really created this disconnection from, you know, my body's telling me one thing, but Oprah and my doctor is telling me something else. So I should probably believe them. So oh, they know more than me. They're, you know, science and research and all these people in white coats that have the authority um, coming in and being like, you need to do this. You must go vegan. You must go carnivore. You might like, this is the way to do it. Right. And we get really trapped in that cycle uh, because we've been so disconnected from ourselves and our inner knowing that our body um, is telling us one thing over another. So that disconnection from our body is a really, really big piece. And we could do a whole episode just on that. And in that conversation as well, I think a lot of people and, and probably a lot of you listening to this, um, I know I related with this and I don't know, Lisa, you too, is we kind of adapt to a new normal. And I hate using that term now, but um, when it comes to food and, and our eating, you know, what we're eating specifically, if we're talking about the what, um, you know, so many people are walking around thinking that it's normal to be exhausted after every meal, that it's normal to be bloated all the time or gassy all the time, or to feel a little gross after meals, that it's normal to get really horrible PMS the week before, you know, your, your cycle starts, that it's normal to always have headaches, like all these kind of symptoms on a monthly basis, especially as women, they kind of ebb and flow with our cycle, um, are normal because everyone we know has them, right? Everyone we know, oh yeah, me too. You know, I get bad PMS too, or yeah, I'm always really crampy too. And we start thinking that that's like, that's normal. And it's absolutely not. We should not be having those, those sim symptoms on a daily basis. And the fact that everybody, you know, is having them um, kind of normalizes it. And I think that's a really big problem for a lot of people. Yeah. And I want to just quickly touch on this because I think there's a difference here between normalizing something to reduce like shame or guilt or open up conversations and also recognizing where normal isn't necessarily optimal or normal isn't healthy or normal isn't what you want or how you want to feel. And I mean, we can extend this from like everything to food and our, the way that we feel in our bodies to money and like normalizing living paycheck to paycheck or normalizing debt or, right. or um, normalizing unhealthy relationships or like there's so many things that we quote normalize. And there's a very fine line between normalizing. Okay. These are the, you know, these, the things that you're facing aren't uncommon. It's common. Maybe that's the question. Maybe that's the thing it's common versus, um, normal. We need to make other people feel, um, like reduce the shame around it, make other people feel like they're not alone and recognize that it may be common and also realize that just because it's common doesn't mean we should be settling for it. Right. 
Yeah. I love that distinction. That's so powerful, Lisa. Yeah. And I totally agree. Like there's this, um, it's okay that you're where you are, you know, and everybody is where they are. We're all on our own journeys. Right. So if you're noticing digestive upset or these symptoms or things, um, you know, it's, it's okay. Like it's, let's talk about it. Let's, let's dive into why it is, but it's our choice and personal responsibility to, to understand that's not how a body optimally functions. Those shouldn't be showing up for you in a healthy body. So do you want to change it? Because you do have the power to do that. You do have the power to, to shift out of that and not have that horrible PMS or those headaches all the time, or that bloating after you eat every time. Right. So it is definitely up to everybody, you know, to, to make that choice, you know, what do you want to shift? And just, I think just knowing that that's not, you know, your sentence, like, Oh, I'm just that type of person that always has X, Y, and Z knowing that you have the power to, to change that. And usually it comes with some diet changes and lifestyle changes. Um, and it's totally possible to, to not have those things. Yeah. So good. I, you know, you talked about the normalizing it across with other people, but I think we also do it with ourselves. I know I've had some good conversations with my physio and humans, like one of our greatest gifts is that we're very adaptable. And also one of the things that makes us fall into the trap of the rat race or in this situation with normalizing our things is we, we adapt very quickly. So adapting very quickly is a great thing. And also a really, a really can be a negative thing too. And our bodies, as my physio always says to me, is like, your body will do anything to continue to be able to breathe and to move. And so like, you'll slowly start to adjust, 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 adapt. And until you're so out of, out of whack. And so same thing, like you will, you will continue to function. You'll continue to breathe and walk, but you may like not have the energy, maybe limping in weird ways. Like you, you may be telling yourself really negative things just to get pushed through and just to get by. Um, so yeah, there is, I think we also, we adapt with ourselves or we start to think, Oh, I must've always felt like this, or this is just the way I've always been when that may not be the case. And again, that adaptability can be really great when you're trying to create new and positive habits or trying to shift something because we do become very adaptable. Not so good when we become accustomed to a new car that we need every six months. We need something newer, fresher, cleaner. Not so good when we're adapting to not feeling good in our own bodies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Super, super important to be aware of that. And I think just awareness. I mean, that's what's coming up for me, right? We do need to build that awareness of where are we adapting to things that, you know, we want to adapt to. And all of us get to choose. I mean, you're welcome to adapt to being bloated every day if, if you want. That's that's totally your choice. Um, but you're also welcome to adapt to, to other things as well. And, and I think just knowing that we have that power, and this is why, you know, my passion is really empowering women to, to open up their mind on this and make decisions for them based off of their inner knowing and their body and not what someone out there or the latest book or the latest diet is telling you to do. So um, that awareness is ground level, which is really, really important. Yeah. Okay. So for anybody else who may still be kind of dipping their toes into the awareness phase, such as me, (laughs) are there any other problems or things like that we may not even be aware that are there and present? Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, um, another big one that I see too, and this comes down to really, um, how we relate to food is using treats as like using food as a treat, right. Or a reward. And this is a pattern that comes from childhood. It's all good. We all do it. Uh, I know you've got lots of mothers listening. I know that you're doing it. It's all good. Like just be aware of that and understanding how that's actually triggering an unhealthy relationship with food in the future, because what ends up happening. And I know Lisa, you and I both can relate to this, right? It's time to celebrate. Let's have champagne. Let's have wine. It's time to celebrate. Let's have cake. It's like, I did a good thing today. My kid is still alive today. I mean, I worked with a lot of mothers, like my kids in bed, sleeping, happy, healthy. I'm going to have some ice cream, right? So we turn into this, like this reward treat 
machine that, you know, and it ends up usually being unhealthy things for us, right? I mean, how many of us are rewarding ourselves? I mean, I'm probably the only crazy person that rewards myself by going to the farmer's market and buying fresh cucumbers, right? Or blueberries, right? Um, if anyone else out there, DM us, um, we'll find. <laughs> <laughs> Let's meet at the farmer's market. That's my celebration. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh my gosh. So good. So good. Okay. So, I mean, all those, pro- like there's a lot of problems there, which is why we're having to do this in two episodes, right? So let's start kind of picking some of these apart and talking about, talking about this. Um, I know you've talked a lot and you, you touched on it a little bit there around us, like losing our ability to necessarily advocate and, and a lot about how we outsource our well-being. What does that mean? And what do you think we should be doing instead? Oh, yes. I'm so glad that you asked this question. So what I see going on, and I mean, I've been in this industry now for five years, like deep diving into like paying attention to what's actually going on out there around me. And not just with my clients, but with my friends, my family, myself, the world, social media. And, you know, what I see time and time again is, again, it kind of comes back to that disconnection from our body a little bit is that we have put all of our, um, you know, health decisions and responsibilities on other people. So we expect our doctor to fix us or the food industry to provide us with guidance on what's healthy to eat. Um, you know, our, our parents to know what's right for us. I mean, some of my clients come to me and expect me to tell them what's right for them, right? Like we outsource our health to, you know, our doctor will look after me or, oh, I'll just get surgery and that'll fix me. Or oh, I'm just going to take these pills and I'll be all good. So we, we're constantly looking outside of ourselves for the quick fix, the solution, the, the band-aid approach, which is unfortunately how our medical system functions. Uh, for any symptom or problem that we're, we're handling. Whereas on the other side, right. And actually it's funny. Cause I know, I mean, here on the golden girls podcast, you talk a lot about outsourcing, right? Outsourcing is great. I mean, please, I outsource a lot of things in my life, but this is one thing we cannot be outsourcing. We must find a way to tune back in and learn to trust our inner wisdom again. So as opposed to trusting everybody else over yourself, we can learn to retrust ourselves and understand that number one, our bodies are built to heal themselves. They're built to also tell us when things are wrong. So, and, and guide us in the right way to heal that. So our body's innate ability to heal itself is there. Plus it's trying to tell us there's something off or we need to shift something, but we continue ignoring it. And this is, this is what our culture, you know, supports us in doing. So it's not your fault. Okay. Don't guilt yourself. Like it's all good. It's just a really, Really powerful awareness to have that, hey, I'm not listening to myself. I'm not trusting my intuition, my body, and it signals. So for instance, you know, we'll get a headache every single day or once a week, or, um, you know, we'll have these things and we'll think, well, number one, it's normal. Everybody I know has headaches or number two, we'll just say, well, I just need a Tylenol to fix it. Right. Or I'll just go to my doctor and they'll prescribe something for me as opposed to seeing these, these as, uh, whisperings from your body, understanding that our body is always talking. So, Hey, why am I always getting headaches? What is this headache actually teaching me? What is it telling me that I need to shift? Uh, It might be as simple as, hey, I'm not hydrating, right? Oh, my body's telling me I need more water, right? Or it might be, hey, there's a major hormonal imbalance going on. I need to recalibrate. I need to switch things up. Um, Digestive issues are a really great one to investigate because oftentimes it's a food that you're sensitive to, right? I know a lot of people, uh, actually, I've had some clients who, you know, I'm eating healthy, I'm eating all the quinoa, but every time they ate quinoa, they just felt horrible and they were gassy and they felt like crampy in their stomach. 
And I was like, your body's trying to tell you to stop eating quinoa, but you keep eating it because everybody tells you that quinoa is healthy, right? So this is the difference between like trusting the quote unquote experts or people outside of yourself outsourcing those decisions versus learning to listen to your body and trusting um, your own, your own inner wisdom. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes so, so, so much sense. Um, that's like, I mean, I think that that's got to be a journey though for people, right? Because we are taught to just take a Tylenol totally. or to, I remember a couple of years ago, probably about seven years ago, I just noticed my body doing different things. And I still don't have the answer, by the way. I'm still like on the journey to figure this out. But I remember going to my doctor and explaining like, my body just doesn't feel right. And like, he didn't get that. He didn't understand that. And he was like, let's just give you some birth control pills to make it feel better. And I'm like, that's not what I'm looking for here. I don't think that that is going to help because that's just like, I think there's other things going on. And as I did some more digging and again, I'm still figuring this out, but like I was able to uncover a couple of years later that my egg count, my, my um, body egg reserve was, was really low. And so I, I'm sure that if I had just taken birth control at that time, I never would have continued down that path, figured out that my egg count was really low. And that if I wanted to have uh, a child that I would need to get, need to get going. And um, so, yeah, like that's just a very small example of how many things, you know, when we cover up, we don't actually get the whisperings and the nudging or like hear the actual message that we're, I think we're supposed to get. And I'm sure, I'm sure you have a million more examples of that, but, um, yeah. Okay. So the shift is really about helping people in like inquire and figure out what's actually going on. What's my body trying to tell me, how do you learn to do this? Like, what does that actually look like on a, like, do I do this yeah. every, every hour, every day before I eat, after I eat, like, what, how do I, how do we do this is like, yeah, without, <laughs> without re outsourcing it. Right. How do, what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. And how do we start also gently going into that? And um, I want to dive into that. Uh, let's not forget, I want to come back and talk more about this doctor patient piece, like this dynamic that's going on there and how we can actually start advocating for our health. So we'll, we'll oh, yes. Too. You know what? We are going to talk about that. Cause I do that. Do, yeah. I do have that good. question. Yeah. Good, good, good. Okay. So how do we start doing this? Uh, you know, it really, starts slowly. You know, it can start with like once a day, maybe in the morning you sit down and you just check in with how you're feeling or what your body is telling you. Right. I think just the best thing that anyone can do like bare bones level one is as many times as you can throughout the day, just ask, what's my body telling me right now? What's my body telling me right now? How am I feeling? Like those two questions are really powerful, especially when you combine them with like mealtime right? Like when you're sitting down to eat before you eat anything, like, why am I eating this? Right? Like we can just start asking those why questions or what, what is, what am I learning here? Right. And when you notice a symptom come up like a headache or, you know, bad cramps or, um, you know, bloating, right. Or gas, like, what is this telling me? Right. Just even asking that question. I wonder what, why that, why that is, what is this telling me? Right. And keeping notes of this can be really helpful. I mean, when we get into the nuances of specific food items and, and food sensitivities and things, which we all have something, um, you know, that's really helpful to keep notes because then you can start to track. And actually I just did that recently and realized, Hey, popcorn is now disturbing me. So unfortunately I can't have popcorn these days. I know it's sad. Oh, that is sad tragic. I, had a, I, had a, I had a pity party. I'm over it. There's other things, <laughs> but it was because I started paying attention. Hey, every time I eat popcorn, I actually like, I have a bad bowel movement the next day, which is a big sign, by the way, take a look at your bowel movements. Like if you're noticing things there, um, okay, and, weird you know, question. is really there an weird. app yeah. for that? Is there an app for bowel movements? 
Oh, probably. That's a great question. I don't know one. If okay. anybody knows one, let me know. I let want, us know. I, yeah. yeah. I mean, Super I'll Google powerful. it afterwards and see, because that's a, something that I've been curious about tracking more too. And I'm, yes. I know for our cycles, there's lots of cycle syncing apps out there. Yeah. But I'm like, what about the poop syncing? What about poop syncing? Yeah. <laughs> if that's not out there. We, get, we need to trademark that. We've said it here first. <laughs> yeah. Here first on the Golden Girls podcast, poop syncing app. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Brilliant ideas are being born today, everybody. You're, you're witnessing history. Uh, there must be something because, and, and I think that's really important. I'm glad that this just came out naturally um, because there's a lot of stigma around that. Like, why can't we talk about our bowel movements? Why can't we talk about poop? Like people don't. Right. And I've even caught myself like feeling embarrassed talking about it. Right. And I'm, I'm practicing not, not, you know, being more open to that because it is literally the best indicator of what's going on inside our body. When there is an imbalance or something going on in your body, you will be having, uh, you know, poop issues, right? Like you will notice. Um, and a lot of people, again, kind of normalize, well, that's what it always looks like. It's always, you know, I'm always constipated or I'm always these things, right. Um, that aren't, aren't the case. So when we can start to track that and understand like, Hey, there's something going on here. Like our, our bowel movements are the place number one to look. I know for me, like if I stress is a big one for me, you know, so if I'm going through like a stressful couple of days, I'll notice it right away in my bowel movements. And I'm like, wait a second. Okay. I need to calm down. I need to like find some time to bring my nervous system down. Like I need to fix this. So, you know, we can kind of start to learn and popcorn apparently. So now everybody knows my secrets. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. So good. Um, okay. So yeah, this is a bit of like a very specific question, but just to follow up this, you know, okay. Would we, be checking in also like kind of as we're eating the food, how it's feeling or like at a certain point, you know, is it best to check in like half an hour after two hours after, like how long after you eat, do you find that most there, there's some sort of, um, like awareness of how that made you feel Yeah, or is it like days? Great question. So yeah, the answer is not black and white. So for anyone listening, I would say, you know, whenever it's going to be easiest for you check in right? Whatever that looks like. If it's, you get really busy right after a meal, then check in right after before you get back to work, right? Or set a, set a timer, a reminder for yourself an hour later. Um, you know, for a lot of people, it, it really is body specific. Some people will notice something like right away, right? They'll notice some upset, you know, some people, it might take an hour. And for a lot of actual food sensitivities, it can, it can actually take days to show up. Like it can actually take quite a while to start impacting your body, right? Um, in different ways. But, um, you know, it's just, building in that habit, you know, at least every day asking yourself or checking in and just keeping it top of mind, not from a place of shame or guilting yourself, which I really just need to point out because a lot of people will, will do that. Well, Oh, you know, why did I do that to my body? I feel so horrible. Like I'm a horrible person. And we'll go down that whole negative spiral. That's not what this is. This is, you're just playing investigator. You're just curious. You're playing investigator with your body. You're learning about your body and we're all learning. I'm still learning. I'm learning about popcorn, right? But you might be learning about different things. So, you know, just coming at it with love and curiosity and, and just understanding that, um, you know, however you can build that in um, is, is going to be beneficial. So, you know, don't worry too much about the timing. You know, that can be really a, a trip tricky for a lot of people because they're so busy. We're all busy, right? Um, so just having a reminder somewhere, you know, whether it's on your computer or, you know, on your fridge, you know, just to check in um, with with what's coming up for you around food. But I mean, before is really powerful to check because then we can start checking in with the emotional connection, like why we're actually eating, which is really important. And afterwards we can check in, um, you know, for any sensitivities or, or, you know, issues around, um, you know, food digestion and things like that. 
So, oh, um, such a powerful distinction there. The before about the emotional piece yeah. or like the relationship piece with food and the after about how your body's actually feeling. Yeah, yeah. So good. So good. Okay. One of the things I really love about this conversation and about your energy is the way you're just removing the guilt, removing the shame and removing this like good, bad thing. Um, so I want to talk about that a little bit because this, this good, bad is so prevalent. It's something that, um, you know, I've done keto when we were trying to conceive. Um, I've done, eaten vegan, vegetarian. And what I realized, this was kind of like my first aha in terms of the broken relationship with food, is I realized that there was literally no food that I could even eat that I could, that I deemed as good. Like I, it feels like at some point or another, pretty much every food has been demonized. Um, and I uh, first blamed my husband because <laughs> that's what you do. <laughs> I was like, well, like you just never cook anything healthy. Right. I'm like, you're always cooking bad stuff. Right. Like you're see, even the language, right. You're always cooking something bad. And I slowly started to realize I'm like, well, what could he cook that would be good? And there was just so few things. And that's one of the my, kind of the cues for me. That's, that's made me realize that, this is a broken piece that I, so many things are, are good or bad. Um, and I'm curious, like, is this a common thing you see? I'm guessing it probably is. Um, and what advice do you have for me or for any other women or, or anybody listening may, may be struggling with this? Yes. Oh, so beautiful. So this is a big one for, for all of us. Like we, again, this is one of the, the pieces that's been indoctrinated into us by the diet industry. This is a hundred percent diet mentality, good, bad, right? And then if we're good, we get to celebrate with candy or wine. And if we're bad, we get to shame ourselves and perpetuate, uh, you know, our feelings of worthlessness and, and not being lovable. So, you know, this is such a big one to understand, you know, in yourself and to start removing, and I'm still working on this. I'm not perfect at it, uh, but removing the words good or bad around food is super powerful. And I, I love to interject. This is personally what I'm doing is using words like nourishing versus not nourishing. Right. So if I'm going to sit down with a meal, like, is this meal nourishing, right? Is this going to nourish me and provide me with nutrients and support my body? Or is this going to be not supportive, right? Maybe I'm choosing to have, you know, some wine or I'm choosing to have a piece of cake, right? Okay. It might not be nourishing, but right now, you know, it's a loving choice for me, right. Depending on where that energetically is coming from. So we can start like, that's kind of my preference, you know, in terms of like, this is going to nourish me versus this is not going to nourish me, but I'm going to choose to have it anyway. And we can do that from an empowered place. Uh, you know, if it's not every single day, all day long, right. Cause that's going to affect our health in a big way. So, you know, replacing that is a big one. And again, just, just, I think that understanding for me, that really supported was understanding that this is, it, this is a byproduct. this psychosis around food is a byproduct of the diet industry. They want us to be confused. They want us to think everything's good or bad and, and just kind of totally be lost in the sea of what to eat. And, you know, this is kind of these last couple of decades is the first time ever in history that we've actually had to pay attention to what is real food and what is not right. We now have, you know, since the agricultural revolution, produced all sorts of things in laboratories that no longer resemble food. And in the past, you used to just be able to go to the market or wherever you would, you know, I don't even know if stores existed before the agricultural revolution, probably not, you know, and everything was food, everything was grown from the earth, everything was like, that's how we made food, right. But because industry and science came and in inter interfered, you know, now we're having all of these pseudo food items coming up on our shelves, right? And being um, broadcasted as healthy for you or approved by the American Heart Association, which are all, by the way, paid by food um, industry 
to advertise for them anyway. So there's a whole political game around, you know, trying to trick us into what's healthy and not. So we, we now are, the reality is facing this, we go to the grocery store and we need to decipher what's real food and what's not. So, you know, that is, you know, level one, when it comes to like people asking me like, what do I eat? Is keto best? Is vegan best? Is there's two rules that I live by. And I think this is the most powerful, simple. Um, and actually before I share this with you, something else is coming up with me. Uh, that I think a lot of us do. And I don't know, Lisa, if you can relate to this is sometimes we kind of want things to be complicated. We think that if something's complicated, it's going to be better or more worthwhile or provide greater results. And the truth is with being healthy and, you know, eating right for your body, it's not complicated, but some people don't like when I share these two really simple things. Cause they're like, well, it can't be that easy. Like I'm going to go and look for this other complicated thing and it's going to get me to what I need. Right. Um, so please don't undervalue what I'm about to share with you. Simplicity is valuable. And when it comes to actually nourishing our bodies, obviously just talking about food here, um, it is really simple. It's just difficult with all the things that we've you know got going on around us. So number one, okay. is just eat real food eat real food. Okay. And yes, that's going to take some, some finessing in terms of figuring that out. I mean, I think we can all agree Oreos are not real food and a banana, a banana probably is right. Um, so eat real food. Okay. That could be steak or it could be chickpeas, right. Um, could be a whole bunch of things, right. If it grows from the earth, if you can picture it growing on a farm, you're good to go. Okay. That's kind of how I, how I think about it. Um, so eat real food, but at the same time, okay, you can't just live by that rule because the second rule is listen to your body. So you can be eating kale, which is real food. And if your body is telling you this don't feel good, stop eating the kale. So those two really have to go together. And that is how we decide uh, what diet or way of eating works best for us. And I know myself as well, you know, I went, when we came back from that trip, we spent about a year uh, vegetarian uh, for quite a while and, and getting off of sugar and all those things. And I really started noticing my body actually craving some more protein and more meat. So we've started reintegrating meat. So uh, I listen to my body in terms of flowing with what it is that I need, right? Or when I'm maybe eating too much sugar, wait a second, like I can notice the shifts that are happening in my body because I've become so in tune with, um, you know, what I eat and, and how it affects me. So I'll notice when those moments of time come up and I'm starting to feel tired or I'm starting to be a bit moodier than normal. Like, okay, wait a second, I need to shift out of that. So, you know, really learning what real food is for you and, you know, empower yourself to go and do whatever research you need to do on that or investigate at the grocery store. I mean, label reading is the best place to start with that. That's where I'm at. And then combining that with really tuning in with your body listening to your body. How is this feeling? Am I feeling exhausted lately? Am I feeling more irritable? Do I have headaches? Like, you know, digestive issues, what's going on, bowel movements, like what's going on there. Um, and really just start listening to that, that combination. So it's simple, but it's not easy. Right. But, you know, just write those two things down, make that your mantra, eat real food and listen to your body. It can be that simple. Oh, so good. And super simple. Yes. Okay. So now I have to ask the question is <laughs> can lasagna and spaghetti be nourishing and supportive for me? Can ramen be supportive for me? <laughs> well, yeah, it can. It can, you know, if like, and I could even make the argument too, like a piece of carrot cake could be nourishing for you as well. If you're coming at it with the energy of nourishment, right? Most of us sit down in front of, you know, lasagna or carrot cake and, and immediately are guilting ourselves for, I shouldn't be eating this. This is bad for me. Bad food, bad food, bad food. And when we oh do gosh, that, are you in we, my head? Yeah, I am. <gasps> I am. <laughs> I know you, Lisa. I know you because we're, we're all saying that it's not just you. We're all saying that. And I, you know, maybe I'm in some of your heads that are listening. Right. And we, we come at that food with that, that 
tension and that negativity right away. And what that actually does is inhibits our digestive system. So then right there, it, it, this also applies when you're eating something that you don't actually want to eat. So anybody who's forcing their kids to eat, please pay attention to this because it actually shuts down our, our, uh, our digestive system. We're not welcoming in food like, oh, I can't wait to eat this. We're, we're essentially just pushing away and our digestive system is revolting. Like, I, don't, I shouldn't eat this. I shouldn't eat this. I shouldn't digest this. So it actually affects our body's ability to digest that food. So, um, our digestion starts not working and now we're having undigested particles. And I mean, everybody left and right is being, um, diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome, which is it's BS in, in my opinion. Um, it's just this, this disconnection from, from food and a whole bunch of other pieces. So yes, lasagna and spaghetti and carrot cake can be nourishing in my opinion, if you come at it with clean energy and you're not, um, you know, you're not, overdoing it, right? You're not necessarily having those, especially when it comes to sugar, right? You're not having that every single day. You're not having it all the time. You're not needing it to get through the day or to numb out or for any other reason. It's just a choice of this is what I you know, want to eat today. And you can even, even in those examples, you can jazz them up. You can make them a bit healthier, right? You can put less sugar in, uh, you can use zucchini instead of lasagna noodles. And at the same time, remember to listen to your body. So like for me, if I eat lasagna, I'll feel like crap because I'm a little bit insensitive to dairy, right? It's just too much. It's like, that's not going to be nourishing for me. But if you sit down and you believe it's nourishing the power of our mind, baby, like, yeah, it can be nourishing for you. Okay. Oh, <laughs> practice I mean, that. Right. And it's going to yes, take some practice to sit totally. down with that energy and even, um, have a, having a conversation with that lasagna, right? Like, thank you for being here. Thank you for nourishing me. Um, I'm grateful for you, like bringing really light, loving energy around that. Um, and, and then, you know, in the same time, mixing it up a little bit to bring in more whole real foods, you know, and less maybe sugar in the pasta noodles or less cheese. If you're, if you're dairy intolerant as well, um, you know, be open to shifting that up to make it more nourishing for you. Right. If your body's telling you that that doesn't really work for you. Uh, okay. Who else is going to be talking to the lasagna tonight? Tell me about that. <laughs> oh, love it. Okay. Before we end off on this episode, I want to dive just a little bit more and talk a little bit more around this complicated relationship with food. Cause I think, feel like that's the theme of what we've talked about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've talked about a few things like that kind of good, bad dichotomy. We've talked about outsourcing um, our health and trusting what other people have say over ourselves and n- not listening to our own bodies. But I also know there's a few other things in here that can also create complications that we haven't yet touched on. What are some of those last pieces there and any, any tips you might have? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, there's, there's a lot of things going on. I know I touched on this a bit earlier. Um, and I know a lot of your listeners like yourself, Lisa, you know, have little ones around parenting. And I think this is really important to bring out, right. It's just understanding that our relationship with food starts at childhood. So we have the power to not build shame or guilt or forcing our kids to ignore their body cues. So one of the things that I know I did when I was growing up, you know, was forced to finish everything on my plate, right? Because there's starving children in Africa. Of course, that makes sense, right? Uh, me eating is going to help them. I, I don't get quick at that. But, um, you know, so what we're, what kids are, are taught, and this, this does become tricky, is uh, to stop listening to their body cues, right? In that moment, it's like, I'm full, but I have to eat anyway. So I know for me, like overeating has always been a struggle. So that's where that came from for me. It was like, well, eat, continue eating anyway, because everything's on my plate and I have to finish it. So there's this belief pattern, like have to finish everything on my plate, have to finish in order to be a good girl, right? And in order to get ice cream after dinner. So this is the other piece as well as using this food. And I know it 
touched on this earlier, but again, it's worth bringing up using this food as that reward, right? Using something sugary as a reward for eating something nourishing. Mindset wise is a total, total mess. It becomes a total mess because now we're demonizing healthy food and we have to get through this horrible plate of delicious, healthy food. And then I get the dopamine hit, um, you know, putting this kind of ice cream up on a pedestal. So we need to start balancing that, that out at a young age, if we can. And, and, you know, as adults, I'm, I'm still doing it. We can do it as adults, but at childhood, it's more powerful and we can start, you know, if you want to let your kids have ice cream, do it, but don't do it around food time. Don't time it in with, with meals or don't use it as a bartering tool. And I know so many parents use this as a crutch. Okay. And no, no judgment at all, but just being aware of, um, how are you using that food as, as a, as a bartering tool in your household, right? Like if you clean your room, then you can have ice cream, right? Whereas what should be the real motivation for your child to clean their room, right? Clean your room because it will feel good and you can help out around the household. And it's part of your, your job in this family to pitch in, right? Or whatever that is um, for your family. So, you know, really just starting to reflect on where that's sneaking in, I think is really, really powerful. And then for us adults, reflecting on where that snuck in, in the past in our childhood and how we can start to rewire like our connections with treating ourselves with food and sugar, always needing it after dinner or using it as a reward uh, for ourselves as well. So that's a really, really big one. Um, another one I know that uh, we were talking about before, Lisa, before this interview, even that I think is, is really important is this social shaming around food, right? It's like, we can't win either way. So if you eat like junk, you're going to be judged for eating junk. But then if you're eating a salad, you know, people are like thinking you're crazy for eating a salad. So, you know, it, this, I mean, we didn't even touch much on this social aspect, but the social pieces around uh, food really play in big time to, um, you know, how we relate with it. And also, um, I know we've had lots of conversations about this in the past, like this people pleasing piece comes out, right? Well, we want to eat what our best friend made us right at, at their dinner party, because we don't want to hurt their feelings, or we don't want to, you know, do these things. And this is where when we can start to step into our power, and our truth and find our voice, we can start to speak up for those things, right? And say, you know what, Thank you for making this lasagna, but I can't eat dairy. It makes me feel like crap. So I'm going to bring my own dinner. Or do you mind if we make something else? Or, you know, being able to have those, those open conversations when you know what's right for you. So really being aware of the social implications as well. And, and again, just starting to build that awareness. Like when you go out for dinner with your friends and you order a salad and they've all ordered burgers, like how does that make you feel and why? Are they making you feel that way? Which by the way, nobody can make you feel anyway. That's your responsibility. But, you know, is that something they're saying to you or is it something from within yourself that you're assuming, right? That you're assuming they're judging you or, you know, just starting to pay attention to that inner chatter. And again, building that awareness around what's really going on there for you. Because when you know that you're making that choice, say for a chicken salad from a place of empowerment and you know what feels great in your body and you're going to feel light and amazing after that meal and they're all going to feel like crap because they just ate a whole bunch of processed food, you know, that that's love and empowerment. And, and from that place, you can feel really proud of that decision instead of judged or, or self-conscious, right? I think there's, there's a lot of self-consciousness around what we're eating, especially in public. And I know people, a lot of people as well, who just don't feel comfortable eating in public because there's so much shame around that. Yeah. Lisa's like, I can't imagine that I eat out all the time. I love going to restaurants, right? I know you do. <laughs> Could yeah. you imagine if you couldn't eat in public? Oh my gosh. I mean, it would basically be like the last year and a half of COVID. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Good point. Good point. Now you know how to eat at home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Wow. I mean, the so I we could probably have a whole other so much on the, the people pleasing, the social piece. I can relate to that a lot. Um, here, how about the other kind of sexy topic, which is like, which is money and how money ties into this too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, money, money's a hot topic. Uh, anyways, it's a hot potato topic, but it can also tie into so much of our relationship with food as well. Right. I mean, I know, you know, you talked about the, um, how does me eating food help starving children in Africa? And obviously it doesn't, but I think some of that, uh, if I can think back to my childhood, some of that came from, um, like people in the depression or post-war times or war times not having anything. And so it was almost like a form of gratitude or like, because we never didn't have anything, any money then now we have money, we must eat it. And like, because we have the money, we need to now eat the food. Totally. Totally. Or vice versa. Like, because we didn't have the money, we now have to make sure we use every, we have to eat every little bit of it because we don't, we don't have anything to waste. So there's like a, that's kind of scarcity piece in there too. Yeah. That's the word that's coming up for me. It's like scarcity less. I mean, and obviously money does tie into that, but that's a big piece because at our, like at our core as human beings, we like safety is a basic human need, that feeling of safety. Um, and this is something like, this is a whole nother podcast. That's been my biggest work on my inner journey is, is this piece around safety and control and security just on a root chakra level. Um, so we absolutely, like a lot of the things you said, really do tie into this cultural shift with food. It's, you know, we we are coming out of that era where, um, you know, a lot of our grandparents, mine included, right, you know, went through wartime, didn't have a lot of food, you know, they hoard food, right? Like, I remember going into their, like, storage locker, and it was just canned goods, and you're like, you don't need this, like, we're good now. Um, but that kind of mentality, you know, does definitely transfer over, and we, we, we start to also, I want to bring this up too, we also have a lot of beliefs about money and food. So but coming out of our belief systems is things like it's really expensive to eat healthy, right? Or I can't afford to eat healthy. Or we start to put all these limitations on ourselves by having these beliefs about how expensive eating healthy is, you know, and, and which is total BS. We can do it, you know, anyone at any budget, um, you know, can build in healthy choices, can build in, um, you know, shifts and, you know, in their, in their life that are going to support them. So, you know, really, I, I think that's such an interesting topic that you brought up and something for people to be really beautifully aware of. It's like, what, what is this role of the scarcity um, going on in your family lineage and, and in your culture and in your society, wherever you live? And, you know, what piece in there is tied to like, when I have money, this is how I eat versus when I don't have money, this is how I eat, right? And we also get this perpetuated in movies, right? Everyone in movies who doesn't have a lot of money, they're eating craft dinner, right? They don't show you how, you know, um, you know, people who maybe at this point, maybe some of you listening, right? Maybe you're financially struggling. They don't show you that in the media, how to do that and still eat healthy, right? Like how to make healthy food choices. They really push this fact that, well, eating healthy is expensive and, you know, all these things are out of my reach. And we start to build those beliefs and get perpetuated, you know, by the um, marketing industry and, and media. Um, and it's totally not true. There's lots of things that we can do to shift out of that. And, you know, we get to choose our beliefs about these things. So, I mean, you know, the years when I wasn't working and, you know, struggling, like I still found ways to, to eat healthy and to eat nourishing foods um, and not just live on McDonald's, right? Because I knew how horrible that, that made me feel. And a big piece to remember, and I know this sounds really cheesy and cliche <laughs> for a lot of people, but it really, it really does come down. And I see this because a lot of my clients are in their later years of life. And it really does come down to, you know, it may be cheaper, 
quote unquote cheaper to eat at McDonald's every day now. But as soon as you start getting really, which you will get really, 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 really sick eating that way for multiple years, then it's going to cost you, right? So when do you want to invest, you know, your time and money and meal prep and, you know, whether you have to clip coupons or do whatever, like it's either you do that now or you do it later because you're paying for those medical bills. You're paying for, for the surgeries. You're paying for, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, and financially for the quote unquote cheap eating that you might be doing now. So, um, you know, it's really important to understand that you're not going to avoid you know, you're not going to save money in the long run if that's like a money piece that's coming up for you when you're eating yourself sick, right? There's going to be medical bills. There's going to be medication, which is super expensive. That doesn't fix the actual problem. It just kind of band-aids it. All these pieces, right? That then you're going to have to invest. Then you're going to have to go big to fix this problem that's been created on the inside by eating not real food, which by the way, pretty much everything McDonald's can just be labeled not real food, <laughs> not real food. Um, yeah. So that's a really important piece to remember as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Um, it's funny. I, one of my, my goals or my dreams is to have like a private chef. And I was always like a thing that I thought I would have like in 10, 15, 20 years, like it's way down the road and we can have a ton of money to do that quote, a ton of money. Cause I didn't actually know what that would cost. And it's funny when I actually started looking into it, it was so much more affordable than I thought. And especially like getting healthy meals delivered to my house. Um, and I was telling you, Danielle, last week when we were chatting before this recording, I've been using, uh, I've used over the last year, I've used Kula Kitchen, which does Afro vegan. They're incredible. Uh, Asha who runs her business, like so, so fantastic and super nourishing soul food. Um, I I've used Oakland wheels, which, uh, they've been fantastic as well. And I'll link to all this in the show notes that have also been using fed. Um, and you know what I'll tell you, like, it's, it's so interesting. I, that was something that I always told myself was too expensive or I had to do it one day. And when I actually started to do it and started to see, okay, what was it, what would it be like? To, and I realized this is the next level. And I realized this is a level of privilege that, that I have. And I recognize that not everybody may not, maybe in that situation, but I encourage you to at least the reason why I'm sharing this is because I think so much of the time we tell ourselves we can't afford something without actually looking into it. So that is what I did. So whether you're doing that, because right, right now you're eating craft dinner, but you've never actually looked at what the cost might be to be able to, to make a salad at home if you, you know, buy it at a Costco or if you um, grow the seeds yourself on your patio, whatever that is. Um, but anyways, my, I guess that's my point because for myself, I told myself it was too expensive. And when I actually started looking into it, when I actually started outsourcing it and getting healthy meals, it saved me so much money because I wasn't eating out because I was still eating out a lot before. So all of a sudden I wasn't, I wasn't eating out as much. It saved me time because there was so much less waste. I, I, we just, we would buy things and then maybe not get around to cooking them or we'd co make too much or, or I would eat it even though I wasn't hungry, but I felt bad because I didn't want to throw it out. I didn't want to, to waste food. And so I've actually found that I would be shocked if we spend more than like a 10% more on groceries to have probably 70 to 80% of my meals pre-made. And that number may even be less in some cases because of the waste reduction, because of the, um, the eating out a lot less because of it. So I just wanted to kind of challenge, challenge that piece. Cause I know I got sucked into that and I told myself it was too expensive. And I would say, look in, like do the research first and always come from the perspective of like, okay, I, here's now I understand what it would actually cost. And then how can I afford this? What would that look like? What are, how can I is always such a better way to open that conversation up and open yourself up to possibilities, whether we're talking about money or food or any goal you have, how can I is always the best preface for that. Totally. And that's like, that's an empowering question. 
right? Like that's an example of an empowering question of like, how can I, okay, maybe not right now, but how can I work towards this, right? How can I make that work for me? And it's amazing what kind of things come up when we ask those questions for our brain. I love that example, Lisa. I think that's really, really common is we, we make these assumptions, right? And again, these beliefs, these lies that we keep telling ourselves, that's all the belief is, right? It's not truth. And then you look into it and you're like, wait, the truth of it is it's actually not that, that much more expensive. And look at all these other benefits I'm getting. And I know, I know you a little bit, Lisa, and I know that that like freedom of time to not be stressed about what to cook, like to having that mental capacity and energy back from not stressing about food and not having to cook and being able to look after, you know, Sonoma instead. So, you know, I know that that's a huge benefit too, that you put value on, right? And oh, I think yes. everybody <laughs> should put value on these things that, um, yeah, absolutely. You're going to free your up your time, right? If you're valuing your time more than cooking, then, then that's a beautiful, you know, option, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I didn't even touch on that, but that's been the biggest game changer for sure is that freedom of time, the mental space. And also just, you know, probably it sounds kind of funny after this conversation, I'm reflecting on this a bit more of like, you know, outsourcing it, like just having somebody else take care of that, bring it to me and trusting. Um, and in, in some ways also like how using it and, and here's the positive side of it is using it to help me heal that relationship with food and to redefine what is healthy and nourishing instead of just good or bad. It's helping me be like, okay, no, this is okay. This does feel good. This is, and obviously of course, checking with my body, but just, it's been a bit, it's been a key part of that. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I want to touch on, I want to push back a little bit with something yes. that I think is important and yes. never, never with judgment um, for anybody listening. Right. I think one of the things and we talked a lot about like some of the problems that I see and the challenges in our society around food. And one of the things that I do feel is at the root for a lot of us is that we, we don't prioritize cooking our own food. We don't prioritize. Um, and when we don't do that, we can't connect at the same level with our food. Not saying that you can't Lisa, and I know you are, and you're using it in the right way, but I do want to push a little bit that like as a basic human function, our roles are to cook nourishing foods, find shelter, and like stay warm, depending on, you know, if you live in Canada, right. You know, there's some basic human needs and we've really, as a culture put cooking and nourishing ourselves as the least priority. It's like this annoying things that we have to do. And oftentimes our parents taught us that belief system, right? Like cooking is a waste of time. Um, you know, it's boring to cook or eat by myself if you're single, right? Or if you live alone, you know, all these beliefs start coming up. And, you know, I think a lot of our problems are stemming from this, this perpetual belief of putting um, cooking for ourselves as the lowest priority when it is the number one most powerful act of self-love and nourishment that we need to do for ourselves on a daily basis. So, um, you know, really just being careful when you are using services and, and I'm not saying they're bad or good, like at all, this is everybody's journey, right. To figure out what's going to work for you, but really honoring that, um, it might be disconnecting you from your food. Still, it's not the same as seeing cooking as a nourishing activity, involving your children in cooking, right. Making it a family affair and really connecting with that creativity as well. I mean, as women cooking is one of the most powerful creative forces for us when, when you can get over your old beliefs about it being boring or or hating it, or I know so many people hate, quote unquote, hate cooking. And I challenge all of you on that as well. It's just, you haven't had the example set for you that it can be fun. It can be inclusive with family and friends. It can be a nourishing self-love time. Like you would take a bath, right? Uh, for me, for example, that's the relationship that I've got now with food. And again, not saying everybody does, but you know, I was feeling really stressed. Um, I was having some hard times. Actually, that's a whole conversation about boundary setting <laughs> on Tuesday. And I was like, I just need to get in the kitchen. So I just go in the kitchen and put some music on and I just 
just like get to cook. And that to me is like just nourishing self-care time. So how can we all get to that place? You know, even though our lives are busy, I know, I know moms, I know you, I know everybody has, we've got a million things to do. We've got a million priorities, but I really want to challenge the status quo here and say, we must put cooking you know, in there, connecting with our food. You don't have to go to the store and get it. I mean, do the grocery delivery. I think that's awesome. Um, I'm again, probably the only crazy person that loves going grocery shopping. It's like, I don't want to go to the mall. Like let's go to the farmer's market. Um, and, and really just like using that as a, as a connection tool and understanding that that piece is really missing in our society. And how do we not perpetuate that as well with our children? Like most kids grow up now and they have no idea how to cook. They've never been taught how to cook. It's like a basic human skill. And it becomes that lower and lower priority. And we rely more and more on fast food or quick meals. Like it needs to be quick. It needs to be immediate. I don't have time to eat. I want to eat in five minutes. I just want to slam it down while I'm driving. Um, so we really need to rethink, I think, that whole paradigm and, you know, really at least just plant that seed and see what shifts we can make and how we can reconnect and start bumping up that priority a little bit for, for nourishing ourselves. Yeah. So good. What I hear is this considering and for each of us reflecting on like, how do we redefine our relationship with food to be about self-love, about nourishment and, and basic survival? Like how do we redefine food to be about like a must, a survival, a self-love tool, and the most nourishing thing that you can do? Um, so I know we're going to continue this conversation in the next episode. Um, so, you know, I'm going to say thank you so much to Danielle so far for just cracking this open. So many ahas and great shifts. I know in the next episode, we're going to, we're going to talk even deeper about this. We're going to talk about um, being at peace with food. Uh, we're going to talk about this medical system and how we can actually advocate for ourselves because I know it's, it's hard to do. Um, we'll talk about self-love and worthiness around food. And I know we're going to dive a little deeper into this because I, as a parent, I'm very curious about this. And as a child with grandparents, curious about like, how do we transmit love without food? What does that look like? Um, and then I have a couple crowd questions around social pressure, around balance and selfishly, I want to ask about greens too. So, um, stay tuned. Um, Danielle, thank you for your wisdom. For everyone listening, hop in. Um, thanks for thank you for listening, first of all. And uh, we will see you in the next episode. Get ready to go even deeper. Can't wait. Yeah, thanks everyone. And we'll we'll definitely um, be diving in to more juicy, juicy things in the next episode. Whoa. So much good stuff, right? Now I know you're probably getting ready to go listen to part two in episode 55, but before you do that, make sure you go ahead, follow both Danielle and I on social media. We are on Instagram and Facebook, and of course, all the links are in the show notes. Now, I always want to be connected to you, so I say this on a lot of episodes, and I always believe that our guests have wisdom and great things to share, so I encourage you always to follow them. But I say this especially after this episode because we are going to be going live shortly after this episode airs to answer any questions that you have and dive a little deeper on a few topics. A couple of things we're going to be going deeper on include joy and how that relates to food. And selfishly, I want to know about greens because I've heard a little rumor out there and also been listening to my body and putting spinach in my smoothies is no longer working for me. And apparently there is a better way. So you got to listen in, got to join us for that live. Trust me, you don't want to miss it. So be sure to follow along. Feel free to send us any questions or ahas that you had from this episode because I know that Danielle and I would both really love to hear from you. I have one last thing that I want to say, and it's actually a favor to ask of you. Growing a podcast is fun, it's exciting, and it's challenging. 
I started Golden Girls Podcast because I really wanted to do two things. Number one, I wanted to take the powerful work that I do with my one-on-one clients and my client groups, and I wanted to share it with more people like you to help you change your life. Number two, I also wanted to quite literally put a mic to the topics that my friends and I were talking about behind closed doors because I know that more people need to hear about this. That's why we tackle topics that are kind of unlikely for a lot of personal growth or business podcasts. Things like CBD oil, money, cryptocurrency, mushrooms, conscious uncoupling, and so much more. Look, I really want to help even more people change their lives and open up the conversation on these really important topics. So how can you help? Share this podcast with a friend. That is my ask. So much of growing a podcast is word of mouth. The people that you know trust you, and that means a lot. I know a lot of you already do this. Share this with your friends, your coworkers, your siblings, your family, and I'm so grateful for that. So this is my ask and my reminder that next time you see someone you know, post online looking for a great podcast recommendation, please think of Golden Girls Podcast. When you're with friends and like a big heck yes for being able to do that again, you know, if you hear someone that you think an episode may help them, please share it with them. And if you hear something on one of our episodes that you really enjoy, let me know. Talk about it. Tag me on social media. Take a screenshot. Um, I would love to know. And of course, this really just helps spread the word out there so we can keep creating more great episodes for you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And thank you for sharing this episode and our podcast with those that you care most about. I'm humbled to be a part of your journey and thank you for trusting me with those that you love the most. I'll see you in episode 55, part two of our conversation on how to heal your complicated relationship with food. Thank you so much for listening. If something spoke to you, send me a message by sharing this episode and tagging me on social media. If you know someone who would love to hear this episode, please share it with them too. Because I love surprises, make sure you subscribe to the Golden Girls podcast today. It's the only way to find out about bonus surprise episodes and make sure you don't miss a single beat on your golden journey. Thanks again for listening and I will talk to you in the next episode of the Golden Girls podcast.